0: So here now the very word of God, as it is given to us in the Gospel of Luke, reading from the 12th chapter, starting in the 54th verse, reading through to the 59th. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, the shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let us ask him for illumination and to understand that he's not just talking about weather and finances here. Let's delve into it. Our Father, as we turn to your word now, we ask that you would open it up for us. We know that my words will be completely inadequate for that. We know, though, that your spirit is here in our midst, and he takes my words and interprets them and applies them um, to those who are here. And I pray that that will uh, be the case this morning, that my words will be as close to the words as you would have me say as, as humanly possible, and that where I fail, we know the spirit is there to apply them as well. So we ask all this in the name of Christ, Amen. I've got a little bit of a strange title to the message this morning, a word that you may not be familiar with. It goes like this, the consequences of pertinacious blindness. Um, and, And that's not an everyday word, is it? In fact, I almost renamed it the consequences of willful blindness, because there's this sort of phenomenon that we have on social media, and you know, everybody wants their message to get out there, and then therefore we want people to actually listen to the messages that we post. But we have this sort of phenomenon. You can look down at the various messages there, and every time you come to a title that's got a big word in it, the viewership is like half of all the rest of them. So I kind of want to, in that sense, to keep them simple. But the problem is, is that pertinacious is just the word that perfectly describes what Jesus is talking about here. When we talk about pertinacious blindness in a spiritual sense, what that word means is it means to hold on tenaciously, stubbornly, even obstinately to your opinion, to your beliefs, to your agenda, even if the evidence that you're looking at points in an opposite direction, or to continue to not believe in something even though the evidence is overwhelming and you pertinaciously hold on to your unbelief. You you want to be blind. You don't want to know the truth. I think a great example of pertinacious blindness, and you can probably come up with dozens of them in our current culture, but a good one is the entire argument that is being made or has been. Been made about abortion. Uh, and going back 30 years now, um, I remember the conversations there. And even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, I always have opposed abortion. And, and I can remember arguing or having sometimes heated arguments with women who were very pro-abortion. And their argument at that time was, well, it's just a benign growth. It's just a wart. I mean, you have the right to take a wart off of your body. Why shouldn't I have the right to take a wart off of my body? And that was the full argument. And it was given in such a way that if indeed it was proven that that wasn't just a benign growth, but actually was a living being, that... Well, they wouldn't believe in abortion. But sure enough, uh, science opens the doors up and we find out that that is far from being just a benign growth or a wart. It has a heartbeat, it has a brain, it has brain waves, it is a living being. And you would think that if they were actually using the logic that they had earlier, that they would rescind their previous opinions and say, oh no, abortion is wrong. But they don't do that because they were never really interested in the truth. They were never really interested in whether it was right or wrong. They were just interested in having it their way and doing what they wanted to. So they continue to support abortion. And, and, and that's pertinacious blindness. You're, you're willingly, stubbornly ignoring the facts and continuing to believe what you want to believe because that just happens to be your opinion. Well, the problem is, brothers and sisters, that when we start talking about spiritual matters, And Jesus Christ as the Messiah of God. And the how salvation comes about. Pertinacious blindness has devastating consequences. It has eternal consequences. And that's what Jesus is going to share with us this morning. Now, if you've been here, we're working our way through Luke, you know that just last week, I mean, we are in one of those sections of the Gospels, and particularly in Luke's Gospel, um, where everything Jesus says is sort of hard-hitting and in your face. Jesus was simply not the kind of teacher who talked in vague generalities. And so he's going to get right down to the point This morning, he, 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 last week, we remember one of the last things that he said, two things, two very powerful verses that he said in the 49th verse, I came to cast fire on the earth and word would that it were already kindled. I wish that the fire of God's judgment, his wrath would already be kindled upon the people of the earth. Well, of course, as we discussed last week, he's talking about himself on the cross and him taking the wrath of God for the those who would put their trust in him and then at the end of that statement he said do you think that i have come to give peace on earth no i tell you but rather division there's going to be jesus becomes the ultimate dividing line of all humanity those who believe in jesus and trust him as savior and lord and those who don't because he's the one who took the wrath of God for the sins. Otherwise, you face the wrath of God yourself. I mean, that's the, the clear statement that Jesus is making. Well, this morning, Jesus is going to, almost with incredulity, approach those who are sort of nominally listening to him, looking for signs, following him because they're looking for some excitement. And, and, and he's going to say, are, are you not paying attention to what's being told you? Are, are you not taking this seriously? And then ultimately, he is going to give us the consequences of just that, of pertinacious, obstinate blindness. Well, with that said, let's take a look at our text, starting there in the 54th verse. He also said to the crowds. Now, notice this about what Jesus says. Um, it, it's been kind of hard to trace his his is where he is at this time. In fact, we have to go all the way back to the 10th chapter to actually get a specific location. Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha then. And that's, of course, we know in Bethany just over the hill from Jerusalem. But then we hear that he is going through the towns and villages of Judea and probably across the Jordan and Perea, and he's teaching these messages over and over again. And then we see that even though he's interacting with the crowd on multiple occasions, he seems to be talking very specifically to his disciples. Well, here he changes that audience, and he is talking directly to the crowd, And when the Gospels talk about the crowd in that sense they're talking about the, the, the vast number of people who are following Jesus for other reasons than discipleship. In other words, in the crowd, there are, of course, true, true believers, but there are a whole bunch of nominal believers. They're, 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 they're miracle chasing. They, they, they're, they're there for the sensation of what Jesus is teaching. They're not there for the absolute truth of what he is doing. And then, of course, there are the absolute unbelievers. So in very many ways this morning, this is a message, this is a statement that Jesus teaches to the pertinacious unbelievers, those who are not accepting his message. But uh, that does not mean that it is not of great importance and actually great relevance as far as the church itself is concerned. Well, Jesus is going to give us a couple of examples of how people in everyday life are able to utilize their brains to utilize the rational ability to look at evidence and make a deduction from that that God has given them. And he's going to use two examples out of weather. So let's take a look at that. The first one there in the 54th verse. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. Now... We have lost to a large degree, not completely, but in our modern setting we have lost the ability to... Tell the weather by the phenomena in, in in the the world around us. I mean, I, I have a watch here on my wrist that tells me exactly what the percentage of rain is each hour by the hour. If I need more information, I'll just go to my phone because that's got a, a radar of the weather activity over the whole southern part of Florida. And if that's not enough, I just simply turn on the television where there are stations that do nothing else but Try to predict the weather. You'd think that with all that stuff, they would get it right once in a while, don't you think? But nonetheless, the, the the people in Jesus' day didn't have that. My grandparents didn't have that. My grandfather was a farmer. One of my, my grandfathers was a farmer. And he could tell what was going to happen by by things like... Well, he could feel the barometric pressure, he said, changing because of the way his joints felt. He could smell rain on the wind and the breeze. He could almost tell you what was going to happen because he had learned that skill. Well, that's the way it was with the ancient uh, Hebrews. They could tell the weather. Actually, for them, it wasn't that hard because if you you know the way Israel is, it's just sort of sandwiched between one of the driest deserts in the world to the east and the Mediterranean Ocean, Mediterranean Ocean to the west. So there's really not a lot of mystery to where the rain is going to come from. It usually doesn't come off the desert, it comes off of the ocean. And so when they saw clouds forming in the west, well, they could make a very good uh, guess or uh, come to the conclusion that it was going to rain. Now, Jesus says at the end of that, and I want you to see this, and I just want to pause here a minute, and he says, and so it happens. So let me put this in a little bit more stilted language that I think will sort of reveal the underlying lesson that Jesus is teaching. He's saying that you have the ability to observe Signs. Facts. The times, certain data that is around there, you have the ability to look at the evidence and because God has given you the ability to reason, he has given you common sense you can uh, uh, make deductions about that and you can come to a right conclusion, you can know the truth to a very large degree based on the evidence that is directly in front of you remember that because that's where he's going to go in just a moment but before that he gives us a second illustration this one also from the world of weather look in the 55th verse and when you see the south wind blowing you say there will be scorching heat and it happens this is something that we here in south florida should understand because we see this all the time don't we especially in winter time if we have a strong wind coming from the north what happens well it drops 10-15 degrees If we have a strong wind blowing from the south, all that tropical air and moisture comes up and we have a hot day. And so depending on which way the wind is blowing, we can pretty much tell what the weather's going to be. Kay and I grew up in Tennessee and and I used to complain about where we lived in Memphis, Tennessee, that it was a weather vacuum in in the winter. It had no weather of its own. All it was, was whichever way the wind was blowing, that's the way the weather was going to be. Unfortunately for us, if it ever blew from the north, it was almost always dry air, so it never snowed. And if it blew from the south, it was almost always wet air, so you had these long winters full of just dismal sort of cold, rainy days. And, and we would wish that every now and then there would be some snow, but there very rarely was when we grew up in that city. But that's exactly what's happening here with the, the Hebrews. They can make those kinds of decisions. Just south of Jerusalem is the Negev, one of the driest deserts on earth. To the southwest is the desert of Egypt. To the southeast, the Arabian desert. Well, if the wind blows from that direction, it is going to bring scorching heat with it. That wasn't a difficult um, conclusion to come to. So once again, Jesus says, you see those things and so it happens. In other words, you are able to make a discernment. You are able to look at the evidence before you and come to the truth because of that evidence. Now that he has those two things firmly in our mind, notice what he says next. 56, you hypocrites. Well, that's kind of harsh, don't you think? Why would he call people hypocrites just because he can interpret the weather? That doesn't seem an awful lot like hypocrisy, but the word hypocrisy, and I think most of you know this, it actually comes from the words that, or the word that describes those theatrical masks that the play actors in Greek plays would wear to designate what kind of character they were. Whether they were a comedy or or a tragedy or whatever they were supposed to be, they would wear a mask or sometimes just hold the mask up before their face. And and that's what helped people in the audience know what kind of character they were. It is a word that means to sort of have a double-mindedness, to act one way in one situation and another way in another situation, to put on a show or to play act. And it is in that context that we understand why Jesus is saying to these people, you hypocrites, because he's going to go on and explain that. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Well, the present time that he's talking about is the present time in redemptive history. In other words, what he is saying is that you have perfectly good minds. You have common sense. You have the power to make deductions based on the data that is in front of you. And this generation, more so than any generation that has ever lived, even the times of Moses, has never had more evidence of God's redemptive plan than you have. It is all laid out right in front of you. You have seen miracles. You have seen prophecies fulfilled. You have heard my teaching. You have seen with your own eyes the most amazing things. And yet you sit there and say, I need some evidence and then I'll believe. Remember back in the... Controversy, we're in chapter 11 now where Jesus is casting out a demon and instead of saying, goodness gracious, only God can cast out that kind of evil, they said he's casting out a demon by the power of the devil himself. And the others said, no, just show us a cosmic sign. Show us something like making the the, the moon go away or, or, or do something in that nature and then we will believe in you. Jesus says, you hypocrites, you're acting like you don't have enough data. You don't have enough evidence to make a decision to recognize the times in which you live. You don't need any more evidence because you have been overwhelmed with it. You are allowing yourself to follow your own self delusions. You are pertinaciously blind. You are blind because you want to be blind. You ignore the truth you don 't want to know the truth and so therefore, you are indeed hypocrites. unfortunately, this is not this is not something that is isolated in this particular time group This happens all the time. Um, people actually don't want to know the truth but they say they do want to know the truth. I've shared this with uh, you many times Uh, when I was in seminary I I was studying apologetics and it was one of the subjects that enthralled me and so I would get on the internet in those days they were news groups and I would have arguments, I, I would have debates with so called atheists, you know atheists that were so blustery, oh I don't have any God my God is reason, my God is the logic of this world, that's what I believe in and so when you would use or when and I would use, and I didn't come up with these. I mean, these are very clear-cut, logical explanations where God must necessarily exist. But when you would actually make that kind of an argument using logic, they would just simply disengage. Turn it off. They, they, they weren't interested in the truth. And if you showed them the truth, well, they would go to something else. And if you showed them that truth, then they would go to something else. And if they had no place else to go, they would simply disengaged. They were pertinaciously atheists. They were pertinaciously blind. They weren't interested in the evidence where God must indeed exist. I can't tell you how many times I have been in, a, in someone's living room or on the street, uh, involved with street evangelism or, or, or talking to people about Jesus. And you explain about the Gospels and you tell them the the, the evidence and, 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 and they would say, oh, you know something, if Jesus would just appear, then I'd believe in him. You know, make this couch fly around the room, you know, do something that I can tangibly see and then... I'll believe in Jesus. No, you won't. See, that's the tragedy of it. No, you won't. What makes you any better than Judas Iscariot? You really think that you're more clever than he is, more spiritual than he is? You have better powers of deduction, and he saw more blatant... No one can imagine the miracles that he saw and witnessed, and yet he still didn't believe. No. Miracles will never lead you to believe. You are pertinaciously blind. You were blind... Because you want to be blind. You're play acting. And that is probably the worst place you can be. Jesus talked about this in um, Matthew quoting Isaiah. He said, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus kind of blows the whole argument that, well, I need more evidence. So, you know, I, I, I need to know more. I, I need you to prove yourself. He just blows it out of the water saying, no, you've had plenty of evidence and you have the ability to make a decision. God has given you deductive powers and you are simply ignoring them and denying them because you don't want to accept them. So he asks a question. Question there in verse 40, 54. 54. I'm sorry, 57. And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? Actually, that's two questions, and let me explain why I say that. The first one is quite simple and straightforward. You know, he's just said you have plenty of evidence. You know how to interpret the weather, and you have evidence that I am the Messiah. Why aren't you judging rightly? Those two words are going to lead us into the Argument or the, the little story that he tells from jurisprudence next. He's getting us in a legal thought. But basically, it's a very simple question. You have all the evidence in front of you. The kingdom of God is upon you. The fullness of time has arrived. The Messiah is right before you. He has authenticated himself in every imaginable way. Why don't you judge rightly? Why don't you weigh? The facts. But as I said, there's a question within a question there. He makes this extremely personal, by the way. What he says is um, why don't you judge for yourself that what is right? In other words, why don't you quit listening to your religious leaders? Why don't you use your own mind? Why don't you use the facilities that God has given you to use in such cases? The stakes of this are extremely high. Eternity is at stake. Why are you simply allowing yourself to be led around like a bull with a ring in its nose by by religious leaders? Have you ever considered that maybe they are black-hearted agents of evil and that they really do not have your best interest In mind, Jesus, another place talking about, remember he talked about the Pharisees? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Woe to you, lawyers, because you tie up heavy burdens on the people and you don't lift one with a finger. Remember what he said about these people in John? He says, you are of your father, the devil. So maybe you should consider that those religious leaders that you are following actually have black hearts maybe you should consider that they are actually have another agenda other than your eternal security in mind. And that's the reason they are teaching you what they are teaching you. Why on earth don't you think for yourself? Otherwise, he says in Matthew, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And these are not just blind leaders, they are pertinaciously blind. They are blind because they don't want to see the truth. And what is so tragic is not only does that apply to them, but they're spiritual and religious leaders. And they are leading others into a pit. Jesus here reaches out and appeals to those who are following them. Please pay attention to what I'm saying Use your own mind. Consider the evidence before you. Because the consequences of pertinacious blindness are severe and eternal. My dear friends, if there was ever a message that the world needs to hear, it is this one. Jesus is basically telling the people of his day the same thing I'm telling you on this day. You need to step beyond your culture. Don't let your culture dictate your beliefs. Do not assume that the culture that you live in has your best interest at heart. Do not assume that they are actually trying to lead you to a place of eternal rest. Don't actually assume that they are here to teach you the truth. Assume that perhaps those who are leading you in that direction actually have black hearts and actually have a different agenda. Think for yourself, is what Jesus says. Use your own mind to consider the evidence. Ask yourself in the depths of your soul, my dear friend, do you honestly believe that you're a cosmic accident? Do you honestly believe that matter is eternal and that your transcendent being evolved from inanimate matter? Do you honestly believe that there is no higher power, no prime mover, No first cause. Do you honestly believe that there is no right and wrong? No good and evil? That morality and good and evil is whatever your culture decides it will be at the time? Do you honestly believe that there would be a higher power who would not communicate with you in some way what he expected of you and how to know him better? Have you never actually looked For the, the, the evidence of God? Have you never actually looked for a true revelation of God? Have you never looked for a book like the Bible who is a, that is a a reliable historical document that is filled with self-authenticating prophecies that gives you the best possible way that a human being can live? Have you simply discounted it and not looked at it at all? Who are you following? What are you thinking? Use your mind to consider the evidence before you. Don't simply blindly accept what is put before you. That's what Jesus is telling us. To use our own mind because there are consequences. There are severe consequences for pertinacious blindness. And he goes and he tells us. He tells us a little story about that. It's going to sound like two guys in a financial problem on the surface. But that's not what the story is about. So... Let's take a look at that, starting in the 58th verse. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So, he tells a story about two men that are in a financial dispute. And we can pick up from the way the story goes that... The one, which, by the way, Jesus switches. He's talking to a crowd, but he uses, every time he says you here, it is in the second person singular. So he is speaking directly to you. This is very personal. He wants you to, to answer some of these questions for yourself. And so he says that you're on your way to the magistrate. So there's, there's this contention between the two of us. You. you have a creditor who he calls the accuser and you happen to be the debtor. Now, the, in, the, the way the story turns out, it looks like it's actually a valid debt. It looks like you actually do owe this person uh, whatever it is, but he's, you're the one with the debt and you're on your way to the magistrate. In other words, you have not been able to reach a settlement between you. He says that you owe the debt, you say you don't, or you say I'm not going to pay, so you willingly go along with him to the magistrate. Well, the magistrate was the first stop in the Hebrews' um, uh, uh, legal system. If you were going to go for a legal solution, the very first stop you would make would be the magistrate, a bureaucrat of some kind, it could be a governor, it could be someone else. But nonetheless, he would be the one who would determine whether or not your case had enough merit to it to be sent to the judge. So he would review you first. So once it gets to the magistrate and it gets turned over to the judge, a whole different situation occurs. So actually, Jesus gives us some very good legal advice. The more scrupulous lawyers will agree with this. If there is any way to settle out of court, do it. If there is any way to settle with a person that you've got problems with outside of the legal system, do it. Because I know that many of you have been in the situation, I have been as well, where you are forced into the legal system and whatever whatever common sense you had as far as that particular problem completely flies out the window because you turn it over to a group of people who have completely different agendas than your well-being. And so, therefore, all of a sudden, whatever it was you went to that for, whether it is a relationship, uh, whether it is child custody, or in my my case, a parent custody after your parents reach a certain age, when that happens, all of a sudden, it just turns messy. So Jesus is giving us excellent advice here from in jurisprudence, jurisprudence. if you can possibly settle. With your accuser before you get to the judge, do so. Because if the magistrate looks at it and it goes to the judge, then guess what? It is out of your hands. You no longer have any control over if he drags you to the judge. Now, in Hebrew, I mean, in Greek, the word judge has pretty much the same idea as it does in um, English. It is one who has the right to render a decision in legal matters. So when you turn the decision-making over to the judge, then any ability to make that change, all you can do is argue your case. All you can do is make your arguments as far as what you believe. Now, there's an interesting aspect of Hebrew jurisprudence that doesn't actually translate to ours. Um, you, You just didn't go to court and make an accusation to someone and then walk away. In a Hebrew court... Somebody's going to pay. Somebody is going to be punished. Here's what Deuteronomy says about that, Moses speaking. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. In other words, if your brother accuses you falsely, says he owes me $100 okay, and takes you to court, and the evidence is put before the judge. And the judge says that this guy contrived those accusations and he really doesn't owe you. You don't owe him $100. Well, that guy doesn't go home free. He doesn't just pay the legal fees and go home. No, he has to pay me $100. If it's $1,000, he has got to pay me 1000 If it's 10000000 million, he's got to pay me $10 million. If it's 10 years in jail, he goes to jail 10 years. Whatever it was he was trying to bring about to me, by falsely accusing me, he has to pay for that. Boy, do you think that would change our suing happy country? It might change our whole legal system, wouldn't it? If 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 we had, if whoever sued is going to be liable if they don't prove their case. Well, nonetheless, that's what, the way things were in Hebrew. So that's another good reason Jesus is saying, if you can settle without going to a judge, for goodness sakes, do so. But if it does go to the judge, and here we learn that at least in his story that he's telling, you who are the one who owes the debt, you are found guilty. And so the judge turns you over to the officer. Now that word officer is a very... Rare word you 've heard me say that you know a, 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 a verb or a word is rare because this might be the only place that it is found in scripture or the only place that it is found in the New Testament. Well, this is the only place this word is found period in all Greek literature now there are other words that are similar to it that give us an idea of what it means, but this would have been like a warden or a police officer who was given the absolute freedom to collect the debt from you. Okay? You owe a debt. It is decided against you that the debt is due. And so the officer has whatever it takes to get that money out of you, he will do. So the first thing he would probably do is go to your home and go look through your possessions. If you've got any money, he's going to take it. If you've got anything worth selling, he's going to sell it. If you have any animals, he's going to take those. And then if there's not enough there to pay for the debt you owe, then you go to debtor's prison. You go to jail. Now, we don't have debtor's prisons in our day today, but you, you may be surprised to hear that up until the middle of the 19th century, they were prevalent in the United States and in Western Europe. That's usually where people who owed debts they couldn't pay went to as debtor's prison. And it wasn't a nice, cushy jail someplace. It was a workhouse. You went and worked off your debt now, if somebody came forward while you're in prison and paid your debt, well, then they would let you go. But otherwise, and this is what Jesus says. Look in that 59th verse. I tell you, notice that. That's his modified truth formula. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. That word that he uses for penny is speaking of a actually more of a half penny. The, the smallest Hebrew coin. I am told that it was about one one hundred and twenty-eighth of a denarii. Very small amount of money. But you won't get out of prison, my dear friend, until you pay every single penny of what you owe. And if you are not able to pay it, if your debt is too big, you will never get out of prison. That's the story that Jesus tells. So therefore, brothers and sisters, I think that we need to step back from this. And take a look and put it in a modern context. Actually, what I want to do is this. A little different, so make sure you stay with me. I want to retell this story because I believe that Jesus is giving us a principle here. And I want to take that principle and I want to apply it. But I want to apply it using the same story, but I've got to make a few adjustments to it. First of all, we're in the spiritual world. We're in the redemptive world. We're in the eschatological world and not in the world of finance. I do not believe that what Jesus has in mind here is teaching you some good jurisprudence and how to settle with people over financial issues. Some people interpret it that way, but I just think he's using this as an example. So therefore, I think we need to dig deeper. And so the story that I'm going to tell you in Jesus' story, which is he's giving you a principle, the creditor and the accuser are the same person. Well, I want to split those two because in my story, the creditor, the one to whom you owe the debt is Jesus. It is God. And I don't want to say he's the accuser because that's the word that is used for Satan. He's the accuser. He's the one who is going to accuse you before God. And so we have a debt that is owed and the debt is not financial. It is the transgressions against the Holy God. The judge is God and the debtor's prison is hell. Now there's a couple of things I'd like to establish before we even, or I even try to tell that story. It's actually kind of short. But there's some different things that we need to see. First of all, there is overwhelming evidence. Going back to the first paragraph. There is overwhelming evidence for the existence of God. There is overwhelming evidence for the validity of Of the Bible. There is overwhelming evidence. For the authenticity of Jesus Christ. As the Messiah. And if what you're saying to yourself right now. Is okay show me tell me. I want to get get, give give me the evidence. You know go ahead and make your argument. And see if you can convince me. My dear friend if that's what you are thinking. Then you are suffering from. From a a pertinacious blindness. Blindness. You are suffering from the exact same blindness because the evidence, you are saturated with it. What do you mean give you the evidence? It's all around you. You live in the West. There's a church on every corner. The Bible is before you. Do you recognize that the Bible is the number one uh, 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 published book in the entire world on the planet? There is no other book that has been published more times in more languages than the Bible. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, whether you accept him or not, is one of, in my mind, the most important historical figure who has ever lived? And you're going to tell me you have not researched him? You're going to tell me that you have not actually opened the Bible and studied it from cover to cover if indeed it tells you that this is the communication from the God who must be that tells you about himself, tells you what he requires of you, and tells you how it is possible for you to have a relationship. And you've never opened it. And you're asking me for evidence. You are pertinaciously blind. You really don't want it. You are just ignoring the truth. That's the first thing. There is more than enough evidence for you to make up your mind. The second thing is for you to use your powers of deduction and consider the evidence. Don't let the culture lead you. Don't let those who might not have your best interest at heart lead you. Rather, turn to the very source, and you're probably, some of you are saying, okay, go ahead, once again, give me all the evidences so that I could make my decision. I'm not going to do it. That's not my purpose this morning. I'm not here to give you the evidences that are all around you. You have a mind. Most of you can read. There are many resources for you to read. You want to know what some of them are? Dr. R.C. Sproul has a magnificent book. It is called Reasons to Believe. He gives you many reasons. He makes tremendous apologetic remarks about why you should believe. If you want to get a little deeper than that, go to Dr. John Gerstner. He has a book called Reasons for Faith. Powerful book. If you're more of an evidentialist and you want to consider a big, thick book full of evidences, go to Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I mean, there's plenty of good books out there. Go to the Ligonier.org website. Find out for yourself. This is not something that someone else should spoon feed you. This is important. This is eternity that depends on this. But better than any of those, simply open this book. This is where the answers are. Don't, Don't start at Genesis and try to read your way through it. You'll probably make it about five or six chapters and quit. Go to the book of Mark. That's a nice, simple, straightforward gospel. Read that one first. Then go to the book of Luke and read that. That's the book that we're in right now. Then go and read John, which is deeper uh, as far as the relationship with Christ is concerned. Back up and go read Matthew because that's going to bring a lot of the fulfilled prophecies into it. From that point, go to the book of Acts and read that one. That's magnificent. For hundreds of years, skeptics have been saying that that book was wrong. Archaeology has proven it right. And then start reading some of the letters. Read the letters of Peter. They're wonderful. Read the letters of John. They're also wonderful. Turn to Paul. Start with a a simple letter like Ephesians. And then go to Philippians perhaps. And Galatians. And finally Romans. Read those for yourself. Make your own mind up. Don't let... A culture that is black in its heart. That already has made so many mad, bad decisions. Don't let them lead you by the nose and tell you what is right and wrong. Make the decision for yourself. Thirdly. You have a debt that you cannot pay. You're the debtor in this story. You're the one who owes. Because you cannot possibly pay the debt that you owe. Every sin that you have ever committed. And trust me your accuser knows every one of them and has logged them for himself. But every single sin that you've ever committed, whether thought, word, or deed, omission or commission, whether it's the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, or the implicit implicit inverse of the law, every single one of them are against an eternal, perfectly holy God and will be held against you. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God commands you, be holy As I am holy. And Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says, you want to know what the standard is that you will be judged by? Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Habakkuk, the prophet, tells us that God is too pure to even look upon iniquity. He's perfect in his holiness, and he is also perfect in his justice. That's who your judge is. Okay? So therefore, you have a sin, you have a debt that you cannot possibly pay, and then fourthly, you are without excuse. Don't go make the argument, I didn't know, because you do. Don't go make the argument that the, the evidence wasn't sufficient because it is. You are without excuse, even what you can see with God in nature. Paul tells us that what can be seen about God in nature is sufficient to not not make an idol to worship, and therefore you are without excuse. So let me retell this story just a wee bit, Okay and let's put it into its much more current and hopefully personally applicable because, as I said, all of the U's are second-person singular. You're on your way with your creditor on one side and your accuser on the other. The thing is, is you don't know the creditor and you don't know that your accuser is actually... Masquerading as a good friend, see, he's masquerading as a culture, and he's speaking in your ear that whatever the uh, the the creditor tells you is 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 not true. So here you go, and you go, you're going through your life. Basically, that's what it is. When Jesus says you're on your way, you're on your way down there. Okay, Hebrews tells us that it is it is apportioned one for i'm sorry it is apportioned for um a, a appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment that's where you're headed you're headed to the judge we read earlier in psalm 103 as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over and it is gone and its place knows it not more no more you will be in front of that judge a lot sooner than you think it's already 2024, we've already gone through a month. Okay, how many more of those do we have before we stand before the judge? So Jesus has some really good advice for you. Settle with your creditor. But you know, we have an amazing situation here that is a little bit different. It's not the accuser, the accuser's over here. Settle with your creditor. Do you realize that it's the creditor who wants to settle with you? Do you realize that He is appealing to you from the depths of His soul? Would you please settle with me? Because I am the one who came, hung on that cross, took the fire of God, took the wrath upon myself to pay for the sins of all those who would put their faith in me. So let's settle. And here's the settlement. Here's what you have to do. I want your soul. I want your life. I want your heart. I want your belief. I want you to follow me as my as my slave, if you want to look at it that way. I want to be your master. I want to take you under my wing and protect you. And if you will put your faith in me, if you will trust in me, if you will believe in me with your whole heart and follow me as not only Savior, but also as Lord, then I will take that ledger that is Full of red ink and I will erase every single debt that you owe and I will remove it from you as far as the east is from the west that will never be accounted for again. And you will stand before that judge and he will open the books and there won't be anything written there except for my own righteousness and I would say that he's one of mine. Wrapped in the righteousness that I alone can give you. Those are the terms. Are you kidding me? Use your mind. Use the mind that God gave you. Don't listen to the one over here who's saying, "Oh, don't listen to him, he's just trying to control you. He's just trying to make you, you know, a a fundy like the rest of those guys. They don't have any fun. They don't know what life is all about. He just wants to ruin all of your fun. You, that God that he's talking about, that judge, oh, he is so good and he is so gracious and he is so tolerant. Man, he's going to wink at your sin. All you got to do is say, I'm a good person. I deserve to be here and I'm better than the person next door to me. And he'll judge you by those standards and everything will be fine. Jesus says, don't listen to that. Please, I appeal to you. Settle before you reach the judge. Let's assume that you don't. Let's assume that you remain pertinacious in your blindness. And now you stand before the judge and you are horrified when you find out that your buddy, your friend is your accuser. You've been talking to the prosecuting attorney all through your life and you've been listening to him. He's not a good prosecuting attorney. He's an evil one. And now he has turned on you and he accuses you for every single thing that you have done against the holy God. You are condemned. So you turn to that creditor who tried to settle with you, the one who begged you, the one who appealed, "Before we get to the judge, give me your heart, follow me and believe in me." And you turn to him and say. says, "It can't be too late for that." And he said, "If you profess me before man, I will profess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before man, which you did." I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I never knew you. There's only one place that that ends up. It's jail. Spiritual jail Jesus taught about it, is hell. You can't wish it away, folks. You can't dream it away. You can't say, I don't believe in it, therefore it doesn't exist. Jesus is the one who talked about it more than anyone else. And I can tell you what Jesus said about that. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last sin. One sin against an eternal God is an eternal punishment. You will never get out. Now is the time to settle. So therefore, let me leave you with this. I'm just going to use the words of Jesus. Why do you not judge rightly for yourself? Why do you not judge for yourself what is right? Why don't you make the decision? Why don't you look at the, the evidence that's before you? Now, we're not talking sovereign election here. We're not talking predestination. That's a topic for another day. We all have to make a choice. The choice is yours. Either settle with your creditor who desperately wants to settle with you Or stand before the judge and take your chances. choice is yours, my dear friend. But I will warn you, the consequences of pertinacious blindness are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know those are hard-hitting words. I know it. I didn't write them. I, I, I didn't put these down. You did. And so therefore I just want to be faithful in the way that I present them. Because I know that Jesus isn't messing around here. He's not just telling idle stories. He knows more than anyone else knows. As far as what the eternal punishment is for pertinacious blindness. Blindness for the sake of blindness. Unbelief that is held on to even though the evidence is before them. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here or even within the sound of my voice later on that wants evidence, wants to talk about the, the facts and the data and the things that should lead to uh, a decision, I, I pray that you would you, you would have them contact me so that we can talk about it, contact one of the elders here at the church so that they can talk about it if they feel more comfortable. Lord, we know that the, the, the evidence is overwhelming and that the consequences for ignoring it are indeed overwhelming as well. We give you the glory for revealing this to us. In Christ's name we pray.